Good morning, everyone. Is there like a sign on these, on these two front rows? No one can sit up here. Everyone knows this is the overspray zone. This is the spit zone, huh? I could see that from third hour, but second hour, please, you know, be brave. Anyway, it's good to see all of you. Today we are looking at Acts chapter 9. And it's, it's a really interesting situation, what happens in this passage of Scripture. Paul tries to join the Jerusalem church. It's like he, he tries to go to the first, you know, Grace Brethren Church of Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, they have him stand and greet time and no one will greet him. Basically, they do not want him as part of that church. That's what we're going to see today. He is basically rejected by fellow believers. And they don't believe he's really a Christian. Now, the title of my sermon today is, Are They Welcome Here 3.0? And the reason why is because there is a 1.0 and a 2.0. And you will see that as I explain in a little while. But I know that some sermons should probably have a a warning attached to them. and, And this is one of those. It should have a warning saying, Not for the faint of heart. Okay, this is one of those sermons, and um, if, you've, if you've ever felt not welcomed by the church, this is for you. If you have been the recipient of, of a cold shoulder, or an icy reception, or just not being accepted by the church, this sermon is for you. And I hope that you will be comforted, and, and I, I also hope that you'll be challenged to think beyond yourself and think about the glory of God and the good of Christ's church. But also, if you've ever been a part of the gauntlet that some people feel like they have to run through when they try to connect in a church, or if you've ever put up roadblocks to people enjoying fellowship, or if you've ever expected people to jump through your hoops, then this sermon is also for you. If you've been hurt by the church, or if you've hurt people in the church, this sermon's for you. The reason why I'm, I'm very passionate about this is because I think this is one of the most important problems in Christ's church. Not just Grace Church of Orange, but all gospel-preaching, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving churches. This is one of the... I am convinced, over 28 years of pastoral ministry, that this is one of the most common problems and one of the hardest, the one of the most difficult to change. I think beyond... Besides people outright rejecting Jesus, this is one of the things that grieves my heart the most as a pastor, is when I see people, when I see Christians not accepting Christians. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9, and please stand with me. We're going to read verses 26 through 28. I am sensitive to the fact that some of you are not able to stand up, and so I will say if you're able to do so, please join us. We stand to, to honor God in his word, and um, whether we stand or we sit, we honor God's word in our hearts. But we're going to read Acts 9, beginning at verse 26, then going down to verse 28. 
And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we we come to you today wanting to acknowledge your greatness. And Lord, we we thank you that we could be here. Lord, many of us coming from situations where we feel just like Paul probably felt. And I pray, Lord, that today you would illuminate by your spirit your word to our hearts. That you would show us your glory and our true condition. Lord, that you would... Shine the searchlight of your spirit upon our hearts and lives today. That we would be healthy and engaged in contributing members of your church. And we pray this through Jesus our Lord for your glory and others good. Amen. And please be seated. Just so you know where we're going for the next two weeks... We'll be doing this, are they welcome here thing. It's Today's 3.0, next week will be 4.0. And as far as I know, that'll be all the .0s, okay? We're moving on to the minor prophets after that. I want to do a bit of review because if you're new to grace, you're saying, what is this whole thing about, are they welcome here? And, or if you weren't here in August when I, when I preached the first two sermons in this little series, uh, what became a little series. It was going to be one sermon, then it became two, now it's going to be four. So I can't promise you anything beyond that. Uh, but five months ago, let me take you back to five months ago, August 4th and 11th, I preached two sermons. Are they welcome here? The first was in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, about not holding your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. And then the next week, 2.0, we looked at Acts chapters 10 and 11, that story of Peter and the Italians, Peter and Cornelius of the Italian cohort, and how he says God is one um, to not show partiality. God is not one to show partiality. This is what I've learned, Peter says. Because at first he did not want to go into a Gentile's house. He did not want to preach the gospel to Gentiles. Now, what happened when I preached those two sermons was it struck a chord in many people's hearts. I heard from a lot of people how they could relate and how their heart resonated with the pain inflicted by the sin of partiality. How many people have felt like misfit toys many times. What do I mean by are they welcome here? Let me explain it a little bit. First and foremost, I mean are they welcome are people, are all people welcome in your heart? Is, is there a love for Jesus in your heart that generates a love for other people? Secondly, I mean, are they welcome in your life? Are you open to building relationships with people, friendships with people? And, and thirdly, I mean, are they welcome here in Christ's church? 
that everyone should be welcome in God's household. That the idea behind this is that all Christians should engage intentionally trying to reach other people with the gospel. That we should engage other people very intentionally and being open, not profiling them, but being open to whoever they are and wherever they're coming from. We all have a story from where we came from and a story behind the story. But that we would be unwavering in our commitment to Christ-centered, gospel-focused ministry with people. And really, they're the people of God's choosing, not those that we just choose to be around. Are they welcome here? Just that, that, that question assumes that all people aren't. That there should be greater engagement and acceptance of all people. That it, it, it assumes that we have gospel work to do and that we need to live what we say we believe. That's what's behind this, this whole idea Now, back in August, we highlighted some ongoing opportunities to sacrificially serve Jesus, and it was on that Are They Welcome Here postcard, which we have this week and next as well. I'd invite you to check it out later and prayerfully consider where, where God would want you to be, what God has put on your heart in this regard. But there were some key questions that we, that I raised that, those two weeks, and I'll repeat them to you. First of all, does your heart break and are your feet willing to go and do whatever it takes to reach anyone and everyone in your own backyard? First and foremost, in your own backyard. And what will it take to foster a long-term commitment to reach tangibly into the community that you live in for Jesus and the gospel, meeting real needs of real people? We also ask, where's it already happening? Let's find out where it is already happening And where could and should it happen? And what burden God has put on your heart for this type of engagement? And then what are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Actively doing something about it. Not just talking about it, not just thinking about it, not just feeling deeply about it, but actually getting to the point of actually doing something in our lives about it. That's where we were going with those questions. And and now I I take us here to Acts chapter 9. I want to give you the main point of what this passage is teaching. And I will tell you first and foremost, it is very personal. It is highly personal. It is actually, it could even be emotional for you because it gets to the heart of the gospel. It touches our hearts. The point that this passage is getting to is that that Christ Jesus accepts repentant sinners. And so must his church. That it's very obvious point of the gospel that jesus accepts repentant sinners those who want to turn from their sins and turn to him and and believe in the lord jesus and be saved jesus accepts repentant sinners and so must his church now why does this statement resonate with believers so much you know by the way it it resonates with, with our hearts in both joyful and painful ways First of all, joyfully, everyone who knows Jesus knows how much they've been accepted when they were unacceptable. They're not worthy of the salvation they've received. Christ has accepted them in spite of their sin, 
And so they know they don't deserve what they got. They deserved the exact opposite. But because of God's mercy and grace, they got saved. They, they were rescued from the, the power and the penalty of sin. And one day they will be saved from the presence of sin. So there's a very joyful resonance with our hearts in this idea that, that Christ Jesus accepts repentant sinners. But there is also a painful aspect to this idea. It is painful at the same time because so many believers simply don't feel accepted by the church. Now Paul learned that all too soon. Now by the way, in this sermon I'm going to go back and forth calling him Paul, calling him Saul, and you're going to go, who is he talking about? Are these two different people? It's the same person, just a one letter difference on the Jewish and the Greek versions of the name okay Saul is the Jewish version of the name Paul is the Greek version of the name same person he is called Saul here I'll try to keep saying Saul but when I say Paul I mean Saul same person okay all right so let's get into Acts chapter 9 and let me give you some context in the book of Acts basically the book of Acts starts where the gospels left off I mean we just finished a five-and-a-half-year, verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew. At the very end, here's the resurrected Jesus instructing his disciples on what to do next, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and I am with you always to the end of the age. The book of Acts starts with uh, the resurrected Christ giving his disciples instructions and then being uh, taken up to the Father. In fact, the, the angel says to those looking, why are you just standing here looking? This Jesus is going to come in the same way that he left. That is why we are believers are, have placed our faith, who have fa- placed our faith in Christ are believing in a personal bodily visible return of jesus because it has been promised so the holy spirit then comes upon the church in great power miraculous amazing god things are happening left and right they were experiencing true fellowship they had devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship let me just say something about fellowship for a moment often we we talk about fellowship and christians will say oh we had some really good fellowship and it was just some christians getting together talking about whatever that's not true fellowship we call fellowship just hanging out true biblical fellowship and you see it in the book of acts is when you are willing to give of yourself and what god has given you to other believers it's when you are when you give of yourself freely to other believers sharing your life with them and even sharing your possessions with them that's true fellowship they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to to prayer and great things were happening and it wasn't perfect though and you don't have to go very far in the book of acts to see that it was the church was comprised of sinful people and there were going to be problems and you got ananias and sapphira conspiring together to lie to the holy spirit and lie to the church and a very very shocking consequence 
Then you've got persecution. People are hating Christians. The same people that hated Jesus are now hating his family and they're persecuting him. In fact, a notable persecution is Stephen getting, getting killed, getting executed for his faith in Christ. And who but Saul was in hearty agreement. It says that Saul approved. Acts 7.58 says that they, they laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Saul approved of his execution. Paul agreed with a Christian being murdered in cold blood. This is the man that, that we are now finding shows up at the church of Jerusalem verse 26 of Acts chapter 9 and attempts to join the church let's get a little background on how how Paul went from a very active opponent of Jesus and his church to a lover of Jesus and his church starts at the beginning of of Acts chapter 9 it says in verse 1 that Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord literally he was inhaling and exhaling threats and murder against Christians. It was absolutely, diametrically, actively opposed to Jesus and anyone who was aligned with him. And he has permission. He went and asked for letters to the high priest, who was Annas, who was the same high priest that agreed with Jesus' execution, to get letters to go to the synagogues in Damascus and arrest anyone who believed in Jesus. So he's going down from Jerusalem to Damascus with permission to take anyone who believes in Christ and and take them and take them back to Jerusalem. And when they get back to Jerusalem, they're not going to have a banquet for them. He's, he's approaching Damascus. Now, Damascus was not like Jerusalem. Damascus was like 130 miles away, uh, uh, and it was on the edge of the desert. It was a frontier town. And he gets close to the place, and a light from heaven shines brightly, knocks him down to the ground, and he hears a voice. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you? The answer, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus himself is talking to Saul. And he tells him that he, he's going to be not able to see for several days. He is going to go to Damascus, the very place he was going to go to arrest Christians. He is now going to go there, and a guy named Ananias is going to help him regain his sight. God gives a vision to this disciple in Damascus named Ananias. A believer in Jesus who's in Damascus and here's what God said to him. Ananias, rise and go to the street called Straight to a house of a man named Judas and look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He'll be praying. First of all, he was going to Straight Street. 
Straight Street was not a little street on the back side of Damascus. It was a major thoroughfare. It's like Chicago Avenue. It's like Hollywood Boulevard. Everyone knew it. And there's a guy that lives right on that street. He's going to go to that house. This straight street had huge colonnades and there was a, a huge gate on either end of the street. It was a major thoroughfare. He says, go to the house there. And Ananias doesn't just take off and say, yes, Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to go do it. He says, hold on a second, time out. I think you got the wrong guy, God. I, I heard about this guy. So here's a guy living in Damascus who's a believer that has already heard that there's a man named Saul coming down and could arrest him. Now God's telling him, you go and meet with this guy. Ananias is like, no way in the world am I going to do that. He has authority from the chief priest to, to arrest all who call on your name. God says to him, you go. Because he is a chosen instrument of mine. I have chosen him for my work. He is going to preach the gospel to Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And furthermore, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias goes. And this is beautiful. This is so beautiful. I I just love this. He lays his hands on Saul. And he says, Brother Saul. (laughs) He'd become a believer. Sometime in those three days of being blinded and not being able to see, he's thinking about the gospel truth that he was trying to kill. He's thinking about the people. He's probably thinking about Stephen. He saw Stephen die. He agreed with it. He's thinking about the word of God. He's thinking about Jesus. He's thinking about all these things. And and God brings them to the point of faith and repentance. So he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight And he rose and was baptized. Immediately he identified with the professing church. He had come to Damascus to arrest Christians. And now here he is, a brand new baby Christian. So what did he do right away? Well, it says that for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. In verse 20, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. Now, no one believes what he's saying. (laughs) They're amazed. It doesn't mean, wow, this is so cool. It means we don't believe this. They say, isn't this the guy who made havoc in Jerusalem upon those who called on the name of Jesus? And hasn't he come here for the very purpose to arrest Christians? But it says that he kept increasing all the more in strength, confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So any believer in Damascus at that point saw that he was for real. Ananias, for sure, he believed it. And, and others believed it. Verse 23 says, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. They didn't want him around anymore. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night. But it says, verse 25, His disciples took him. And let him down through an opening in the wall. Paul talked about this. 
Second Corinthians 11, he talked about this very thing when Paul was saying, here's all the things that have happened to me as a servant of Christ. I've been beaten up. I've been shipwrecked. I've been, all these things have been happening to me. And even one time, they were going to kill me and they let me down in a basket through the wall, down the wall of the city. And I escaped. It's interesting, he says, Saul's disciples, every time in the book of Acts, the disciples are mentioned, they're, they're mentioned with people who belong to Christ's church. And here, his disciples, it's people he led to Christ. Jesus said, go and make disciples. So Saul went and made disciples. And his disciples saved his life. And then we come to verse 26. That's where we're going to be. Verses 26, 27, and 28. What we're going to see in these three verses is one of the most dramatic turnarounds ever in Scripture amazing amazing turnaround so first of all paul tries to join the church in jerusalem i want to explain one thing too it says verse 23 when many days had passed well you go how many days well many but is there anywhere else in scripture that says how many well galatians 1:18 tells us it was three years so three years after paul had become a believer he goes to jerusalem and it says that he attempts to join the disciples that just just doesn't mean he wants to hang out with them for a little while he wants to join the church he wants to be a part of this fellowship he wants to be with them but it says they were all afraid of him they didn't believe he was a disciple they thought he was a spy they thought he was a mole they thought he was fake so what he gets is an icy reception from the church he gets rejected He's been a believer for three years. Now, they didn't live in, in, this, in this instant news context that we do. I mean, if someone gets saved, it might be on Twitter and Facebook and other social media immediately. Here, they, they, they were still not buying it. The church shunned him. The church rejected him. They were suspicious of him. You ever been suspicious of someone who walks into your church? Have you ever looked at someone and thought, no way in the world could that be a believer? Have you ever thought to yourself, well, you know, they're praising God right now and stuff, but I saw them the other day. I I heard what they said. I saw what they were doing. And you look with suspicion on people. And by the way, those suspicions, those judgments, those a lot of times we get our exercise by jumping to conclusions about people. You shouldn't do that. But a lot of times we make these judgments about people and we hold on to them like a pit bull with a tennis ball. We will not let them go. Even when we see evidence that says otherwise hey this is a good person this, this person got changed by Jesus this, the Holy Spirit's in this person's life this, God's using this person this person just wants to be a part of the fellowship but we hold on to things for a long time so what happens here this dramatic turnaround gets, gets jump started by a guy named Barnabas look at verse 27 it says but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. I want you to notice several things about this. First of all, there's Barnabas. 
If you know anything about this man, you probably know that his real name was Joseph and that he had a nickname and it was Son of Encouragement. So you think, oh yeah, Barnabas, he was, you know, hugging everybody, slapping everybody's backs, giving them nice kind words, making them feel really good. You know, a better translation of Son of Encouragement is really Son of Exhortation. Most likely it was pointing to the fact that he was very skilled and powerful in preaching the word of God. But it says that Barnabas took hold of Saul. And interesting, usually if someone, when someone comes to faith in Christ, we say, hey, you should tell your story, you know, to the church or tell your, tell your story to everybody. In this situation, Barnabas told Saul's testimony. Do you notice that Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them? So here's Barnabas vouching for Saul. Here's Barnabas telling Saul's testimony. So what happens? What's the result? Here's the dramatic turnaround. Look at verse 28. In fact, it's, it's so understated, you wouldn't even, you, you might miss it. You wouldn't even get it right away sometimes. It says, so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. So hold on a second. Verse 26, he's rejected. Verse 27 one person in the church is willing to risk and, and shares his testimony. And verse 28, he's free in ministry and he's associated with the church. That's a very dramatic turnaround. It, it, you, you would almost miss it. If you're just reading straight through, it's like, oh yeah, I know all about this. Verse 29 says he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Seems like he found a ministry probably like he had in Damascus. Met a need that maybe the church wasn't meeting at that point. But this is one of the most dramatic turnarounds in all of Scripture. And we could almost miss it. I don't want you to miss it today. There are things this passage of Scripture teaches us. There are lessons we can learn. There are observations I want to give you too that I've found to be true over 28 years of pastoral ministry. And I think there's a danger. I want to mention the danger first. I think there's a danger when you hear and read a passage of Scripture like this and you see a, a topic like this of Christians should accept Christians, you immediately think about when you weren't accepted. It is our, our knee-jerk reaction to be self-centered and think of ourselves. You think about the time that you were on the receiving end, a time that you were hurt by someone else. Let me remind you that we first need to examine our own hearts. That's our first job. I want to give you five observations that I've made that I found to be true over the years and they fit with this passage. First, a person who doesn't love God's people may not belong to God. If you don't love God's people, you might not be a believer. We don't have to go very far in Scripture to see this idea in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Verse 14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life, you know, become a believer, because we love the brothers. 
Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is not an optional thing. This is not, you know, this smorgasbord of choices that believers have that, hey, I'm going to, you know, I think I'll love my brothers and sisters until they hurt me, but I want to be in really fruitful ministry. You can't be in fruitful ministry if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's really one of two choices here. You're either not a believer and you think you are, or you're a believer that has let Satan get a foothold in your life and has hated people to the point where you it's part of your life now that you won't let go of. And you've got to realize that or you'll never change. A person who doesn't love God's people may not belong to God. See, Christ Jesus accepts repentant sinners and so must his church. Second observation is that a church that doesn't accept those whom God has saved is actively defying God. If the church is unaccepting, it's disobeying God. Interesting that in the book of Acts, the whole church didn't think that Paul was a believer. And then one person said, well, I do. I believe it. I buy it. If a church doesn't accept those whom God has saved, it's in active defiance of God. It's interesting what, is, what Paul wrote to churches in Ephesians and, 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 and other places where he, he basically talks about dwelling together in love and, and unity and that God saves us by his mercy and that he wants to, to develop a people who are zealous for good deeds. It's a togetherness. It's not a bunch of individuals going around trying to, to be fruitful. It is a family. We're called brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I know people get stuck on all sorts of levels. A lot of Christians get stuck on the I will put up with them level. You know, I'll sit on the other side of the church or I'll go to a different service or I won't be in their home group or whatever it is. And you, and you look at me and you think, how does that guy know this? It's because I know you and I know and I talk to you and I, 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 I live life with you and, I, and people talk and people share their, their, their experiences and, and, and I've, I didn't just, I wasn't just born yesterday. It's interesting. People will go, okay, I'm going to put up with them but I will not, I will not hang out with those people. You don't know how many times I've heard that. Not just at this church, but amongst a lot of Christians. 
Then they get stuck at the, hey, I'll interact with them, I'll give them the basic kindness, but no way in the world will I take them into my confidence. No way in the world will I be, have a true friendship with them. So you kind of go, well, so what are we supposed to do? I got one for you. Look at verse 30. And when the brothers learned this, learned what? That the people were trying to kill them, the Jews were trying to kill him. When the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. That's where Paul was from. We don't know that he wanted to go, but he, he listened to them. They're like, don't stay here. Your life is in danger. Go back home, preach there. God bless you. We'll see you another time. Wait till things calm down. So when you wonder how you should do this, it's here's how you should do it. You do whatever it takes to get you to defend their life. You do whatever it takes to get you to defend your family when the world attacks. Now, if you've been on the giving end of someone else's icy reception or rocky relational road at a church, you've got to think and you've got to think, wow, I have this tendency to pre- judge or to misjudge or to falsely judge of course we've got to be wise we've got to be discerning we've got to stay away from the unruly and swindlers and fakes and the false ones and all that in fact next week 4.0 is going to be what do you do what do you do with someone who's actively sinning how do you accept them how do you how do you stay committed to 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 trying to engage them. We'll talk about that next week. But just, you got to remember where you came from. If you're a Christian today. If you're not a Christian, you're going, what? <laughs> just, if you're not a Christian, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. He died for your sins. He rose from the grave. He's coming back. You must believe in Jesus Christ. He is the only way to be saved. But if you're a Christian, you got to remember where you came from. And you've got to remember your tendency to sin and the price that Jesus paid. That Jesus died for sinners. Most notable in your mind should be you. You shouldn't think that anyone is a worse sinner than you. That's from Paul too. He says, I'm the chief among sinners. He wasn't. He just thought he was. Because someone who's saved by the grace of God in Christ, a repentant sinner, thinks that they're the worst sinner in the world. And granted, some people looking for a church find all kinds of reasons not to welcome themselves. I know. And sometimes people belonging to churches find all sorts of reasons to leave. I know. But the church must accept those God has accepted. Now, you can't hold people against their will, but you can do everything in your power to love them and make them feel welcome. Third observation. God can bring, can bring about great blessing for his church through one person willing to risk. Chief example here, Barnabas. That it only takes one person to change the course, to shift the tide. One key, actually one key acceptance or rejection. Think about that. But choose to be like Barnabas. Welcome every unbeliever you know. That, that, that they would see the gospel in operation in your life and that they would be called to repent and believe. Welcome every believer you come in contact with. 
And don't be like the person who says, I'm going to be patient and wait for them to attain the level of perfection I've attained. If just one person would risk, God can bring about great blessing for his church. Fourth observation, if you're focused on kingdom ministry, you're not going to worry about being hurt. Did you notice that Paul is our great example here? Saul, he didn't say, I'm never going back to Grace Brethren Church of Jerusalem because they had stand and greet and no one greeted me. They're so unfriendly there, I'm never going back there. He chose to forgive, to overlook the offense, to love Jesus so much that he hardly noticed. What do you see Paul doing? Not debating about what they should have done better when they greeted him. Hey, hey guys, uh, for the next person down the road, can you do this a little bit different? No. You see him preaching the gospel. You see him diving into kingdom ministry. By the way, if you, if you nurse your wounds and play the victim, and so many Christians do, you will stay bitter and get more bitter and you will starve for fellowship and you will find one day that you are just as wrong or more wrong than those who wronged you. My friend Lloyd Rinks says it this way, put a period on your heartaches. Right, Lloyd? Put a period on your heartaches. When he told me that, I put a period on two heartaches that I had coddled and let grow into a little bitter infestation in my soul. It was a gift from God to hear those words. And if you've been on the receiving end, I would just say choose to be like Paul, choose to be like Saul, and take the high road. Paul didn't leave in a huff. Paul didn't go self-focused. Paul didn't let it flavor his interactions. He didn't hold them against them. them. Paul stood silent while someone else fought for him. Someone else advocated on his behalf. Someone else brought it up. And the next thing you see, he's moving about freely amongst the church, fruitful ministry. Fifth observation. Last one. When God's family dwells in unity, he brings about great freedom, power, and blessing. You see, we are not simply a collection of individuals, each seeking to get our needs met. That's not biblical. And by the way, what does the gospel do? The gospel brings people together in the church that would never get along outside of it. Paul and these believers, he wanted to kill them. God brings about, he's putting his church together. And he's choosing you and me and a lot of other unlikely suspects. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 2 Timothy 2.22, Pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You know, if, if the church would dwell in unity, they'd get to verse 31. Look at verse 31. I think every church should want this said about them. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Every church can't have that said about them. So the big question for us today is, can Grace Orange have this said about us? 
you're new to Grace Orange, just relax for a moment. If you're, if you're part of Grace Orange, make sure your seatbelt's fastened right now. Can we talk? Can we talk? You know me, you love me, you trust me. Let me talk. There's lots of great examples, by the way, at Grace Church of Orange of loving and accepting people. I mean, one after another. We can, we can write those things down and praise God for them. Lots of great examples of repentance, of re- reconciliation, of, of restoration. Praise God for all the good stuff. But we are not as healthy, healthy as we think we are. Most churches aren't as healthy as they think we, they are. We, we have problems as a church. They're They're hidden. But we have problems. Every church does. We have some long-standing ones. And I know this isn't easy to talk about. But there are people at Grace Orange who feel left out. There are people at Grace Orange, and if I make eye contact with you right now, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> I'm preaching to a group of people with eyes. <laughs> There are people at Grace Orange who hold grudges. There are people at Grace Orange who refuse to let things go. There are people at Grace Orange that are infected and while we grow as a church, it has hindered our growth. And for that, we have grieved God. And until we repent of that, we will not be as healthy as God wants us to be. It's kind of like the guy walking down the street who goes, man, I'm the healthiest guy in the world. And he's got a tumor inside of him that is going to eat away his organs. But you can't see it from the outside. Tim Keller put it this way, self-centeredness blinds us to our own faults while making us hypersensitive, offended, and angered by that of others. The result is always a downward spiral into self-pity, anger, and despair as the relationship gets eaten away to nothing. You fix your mind on the gospel, you're not going to care what somebody did to you. We've got we to gotta repent is what we've got to do. It's a biblical word, it's a biblical idea, and it's something that Christians should be doing all the time, not just a one-time occurrence. So whether you've been guilty of anything we've talked about or, or that you've been hurt, maybe you've been standing idly by just watching it happen and be totally oblivious to someone else's pain, we all have repenting to do. We can have repenting of not being involved or of being too involved in the hurt. I know that gossips and slanderers lurk in Christ's church and they weed their way into fellowships, into Bible classes, into home groups, into all sorts of small groups and they spread their poison. And they infect others with hatred, often disguised, but it's often blatant as well. And by the way, I have have a clear conscience on this. I know of nothing going on right now. I'm not hammering anybody. So if you come up to me and say, you were talking about what I did. I'm like, so what'd you do? (laughs) So maybe it has been you. Maybe the Spirit right now is convicting your heart. And maybe you need to confess that you have not actively and demonstratively loved God's people right in front of you. So how can you love God the pagan across the street or across the world. Maybe you have nursed your wounds and become bitter and resentful and hard-hearted towards some Christian or group. Maybe you left another church and came to Grace Church of Orange and you didn't deal with the relational issues you should have dealt with and we are not healthy because of it. 
This is a call to change, and it's a call to stop excluding, and it's a call to forgive if you have anything against anyone, and it's a call to let it go if you become bitter. Confess it, you forsake it, whether you're a perpetrator or a victim. You go and make it right with whoever you might have hurt. I mean, if you're guilty of anything like that, you just repent like you repent of any other sin. You recognize you sinned, and, and you, 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 you stop doing that. By, by God's Spirit's enabling, you stop doing it. You judge your own heart, and, and you reconcile. If you're the victim, don't allow yourself to be the victim anymore. It's just self-centered. Somebody porcupines you, you know what that means? You come at them, and they're just, eh, you know. Uh, Keep going after them lovingly with gloves, okay? Uh, carefully. And you receive them. You decide. I, I, would, I want every person here to decide that they will never say anything bad against somebody else behind their back or blatantly to their face. And when you sin, repent. Let it go quickly. Confess it right away. Don't let it take root. Tim Keller said this, the Spirit's work of making the gospel real to the heart weakens the self-centeredness in the soul. C.S. Lewis put it that it's the one sin that everyone has and everyone hates when they see it in someone else, but they can't see it in themselves. Christ Jesus accepts repentant sinners and so must his church. I don't want you to let this moment go by without deciding to fix your eyes on Jesus and be different. Lord God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that, that illumines your word to our hearts. Lord, I pray that, that all things that need to be dealt with would be dealt with in the most godly and Christ-centered way. And I pray that we truly would fix our eyes on Jesus and be different for your glory and others' good. Amen.